Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 16, where this morning we will look at the first 20 verses of this chapter. As Karen acknowledged earlier, Dr. Greenway prayed, it is Mother's Day. Uh, this is one of those days as a pastor that uh, feels oftentimes just like a landmine field. And uh, the reason why I say that is because I know that when Mother's Day comes around, there are so many of us that are in here that perhaps we are experiencing different emotions when it comes to this particular holiday. Now, Father's Day is easy because you can just come up here and just say, go be a good dad and go get them. And the dads are typically very satisfied in that. However, with Mother's Day, we know that it brings in all of these extra emotions that are often attached to it. I know for a fact that just within this past year, we celebrated the birth of several of our families on their first child. And so we celebrate that with you. We acknowledge that. What a joy that is to watch. We know that in this room, there are some of you who lost a child this year and miscarried. And we mourn with you. We know that there are some of you who are in the trenches every single day with your little ones and uh, you've got food stains all over your clothes and your house is a mess, but you're there fighting the good fight, helping raise your family. And so we deeply, deeply appreciate you. I know that there are some in this church this past year that have struggled with issues such as infertility and not being able to conceive and to have children. And so we weep alongside you and come alongside you. I know that there are some of you who have become spiritual moms to some of our college students and our high school students. And can I just say to you that in the spirit of being a pastor, we, we need you deeply to come alongside one another. We know that some of you had great relationships with your mom growing up. And we know that some of you didn't have great relationships with your mom growing up. We know some of you that maybe that relationship is strained. We know that some of you this past year that you put your mom and you, and you, you buried your mom perhaps, and she's not here for the first time. And we recognize that as well. The deal is with Mother's Day, we all have been given at least a mom that at least at the very least birthed us and brought us into this world. It has given us an opportunity to bring life so that we as a people could just say to our moms, thank you, and that we appreciate you, and that we recognize oftentimes the difficulty that comes even within this day. My relationship with my own personal mom is she was really on the receiving end of all of my complaints growing up. She was the one that I would go to if I didn't have socks or clean clothes or we didn't have food or for lunch or needed money or needed this and that. She was really on the receiving end of my brother and I and, and us being the chief complainers of the house, especially as a group of rowdy teenagers. Moms know a lot about their children oftentimes grumbling and complaining, do they not? Well, in our text today in Exodus chapter 16, we continue with that theme of grumbling and that theme of complaining and being discontent. And so we pick up beginning in verse one in our story in Exodus and the word of God says this, they set out from Elam and, on the con and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I want you to notice from the very beginning that as God has taken them out into the wilderness to sanctify them, there has been this repetitive theme in the life of the Hebrews over and over again, and it's this posture of being very discontent perhaps with where God had placed them. And we see this theme that's woven in. They grumble against Moses and they grumble against Aaron. And we rightly identified last week that when they grumble against Moses and Aaron, what they are doing is they are grumbling against the Lord God himself. But I want you to notice one thing that perhaps is striking in the beginning, just in verse one, that we notice that when God takes them to the place, it says on the 15th day of the second month, on the 15th day of the second month, and why that's noteworthy and striking in this moment is remembering what all the Hebrews had just seen literally weeks before that. The deliverance of the hand of God, the plagues that had swept through the land in Pharaoh's house, him delivering them at the Red Sea and parting it and then consuming all of Pharaoh's army. They had seen miraculous things. God had given them uh, relief and he had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. And yet on the 15th day of the second month, not just but a few weeks after all of these things, it says in verse two that they began to grumble. They grumbled while they were in slavery, and so God delivered them from that. They grumbled as the army approached them at the Red Sea, and God delivered that. They grumbled with the bitter water, and God turned that bitter water into something sweet. And now here we find them in a place where they continue to grumble. And we notice in particular what it is that they're grumbling about. They're thinking back to the past when they had the meat pots full and they were under the hand of Pharaoh and yet they, their bellies were full. They, they had exactly not just what they needed, but they had what they wanted and, and they had this different type of lifestyle that they uh, recall on and they, they look back. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 78, he speaks about the fact that they had all the things for their survival and not just for their survival, but they had over and above what it is that they needed in this moment, yet they still grumbled. One of the things that I learned this week in studying this passage is when you sort of hone in and you see this repetition of words that's used over throughout chapter 16, you see the word grumbled used over and over and over again, close to nine different times. And so that's striking for one particular reason. When you begin to understand what this Hebrew word actually means in Exodus 16, you see, we understand grumbling as just simply offering up complaints and expressing an opinion that might be disassociated uh, with whatever condition we find ourselves in and, and basically saying that we don't like or we don't appreciate something and so we complain. But when you dig in a little bit deeper, you learn that that word grumbled is, is not just a, a complaint. But rather what the Hebrew author meant in that moment is that he used a particular word to, to show and to display not just a, a disgruntled disposition, but rather to describe the condition of outright open rebellion in the Hebrew's relationship with God. And so it says that they, they grumbled. Not just offering a complaint, but, but rather suggesting, if you will, an outright mutiny in their relationship with him. 
And so when you understand that, you, you begin to see not just the mercy and the grace of God, but you see how discontent these people were in this moment. And so you begin to read the text in a little bit different way. If we go back and we look at verse 2 and just read that and say, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel not just complained to Moses and Aaron, but were in outright rebellion in their relationship with God. They weren't just disgruntled. They were a people in this moment who had become incensed about their, their place in life and where it was that God had had them. And they began to confuse what they wanted with what they needed, and this was the source of their discontentment. And the same is true of us. Our feelings of discontentment come from confusing what it is that we want with what we actually need. You see, what God has promised us is to give us precisely what we need when we need it. And oftentimes we become disgruntled in our relationship with him or perhaps with people or, or circumstances when, when we begin to confuse the wants with the needs. And then what that does is it begins to grow the discontentment in our hearts and it becomes disproportionate to our circumstance. You see, the Hebrews in this moment, they, they saw the problem. They were hungry and they wanted to eat more, but they didn't fully understand in this moment why the Lord God would take them, not to the promised land directly, but rather he would bring them south rather than north and he would take them into the wilderness where they're basically going to get a spanking for about 40 years. And God is going to bring to mind their, their disobedience and he's going to sanctify them by, by taking them out into the wilderness to make them into the people that he wants them to be. But they don't understand that in this moment. And so they begin to become disassociated in their relationship with him and they grumble and they cry out. They see the problem, but they don't necessarily understand it. The problem was we, we want more to eat. But what they didn't understand was that God had them precisely where they needed to be and he had given them exactly what it is that they needed. And I think the principle that exists there in that moment is just because you can see a problem doesn't mean you understand the problem. We can identify it and we can see it, but we don't rightly understand it oftentimes in the complexities of our relationships, in the complexities of our circumstances, in the complexities of why organizations, if you will, perhaps might do the things that they do. But just because you can see the problem doesn't mean you understand the problem. And the Hebrews in this moment didn't quite understand it. They didn't fully grasp the idea that God was making them into a different people, that, that he was sanctifying them and he was teaching them to trust him and to find rest in him and to walk with him and to be patient with him. And so they began to grumble. We pick up in verse four, the text says, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and they shall gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard and seen your outright rebellion. He hears your grumbling against him. For what are we that you grumble against us? You rebel against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening, 
meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard and seen your rebellion, that you grumble and you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Your grumbling is not against us, but it is against the Lord. Your rebellion is not against Moses and Aaron, but it is against the Lord God Almighty. The grumbling position, the the complaining spirit, you know, this is usually an indication that applies to the Hebrews, but it applies to us as well, that a complaining spirit is usually an indication of a problem in a person's personal relationship with the Lord. It's an indication that something's off in their walk with the Lord. If something's not quite right, that there's a level of, of sin or brokenness that exists in the midst of that, that there's this rebellion that exists, and so it indicates that, that something is wrong and, and something is, is off. And so even though and despite those things, the Lord sees those things, and he says, I will test them, I will give them direction, and we will see if they follow, if they hear me, if they, if they understand They can perceive the problem, but then I will take them to a place where they begin to understand the problem, that I am sanctifying them as my people, for my people will be set apart from all the other peoples. And so he promises them meat in the evening and bread in the morning. He does this in different ways and Old Testament scholars go back and forth on, on what exactly the extent of the, the manna here, if you will, in this moment and what it is that they are actually eating. We know that the, the birds and the meat that they got were the quail and these quail were migratory animals that would come and they would fly to their destination and they would land on the ground at night, they'd be tired and, and so it was a common practice to go and to gather them. But lest we try to describe that instance as some sort of natural selection or something that naturally occurred, what we must keep in mind and we must remember that whatever it was that they were eating in the morning and however it was that God was providing and the birds were there for them to eat, what we must believe and hold to if we believe this to be the word of God is that this was a miracle from God. It was nothing but miraculous in this moment that cannot be explained away. They cannot say that it was just happenstance and and how these things occurred. Certainly, uh, God can use natural things in those moments, but, but his provision was from him to them, and it was because of him that they had what they had. That their bellies were full, and that they had exactly and precisely what it is that they wanted. Verse 9 continues on, and it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling, he has seen your rebellion, and yet, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared to them in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people. I've seen the rebellion. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. 
God appears to them. It was known as known as the Shekinah glory, the, the cloud of his presence that signified his protection over his people. You see, in this moment, God was showing a, a piece of himself and revealing himself. This visible manifestation of himself with, a, with an invisible majesty was on display now for them to see. And so they see his presence in the wilderness, in the cloud, reminding them that he is with them. And he's saying, would you just trust me? Would you just believe me? You can imagine the, the exasperation that perhaps might have been there in that moment or, or the frustration, if you will, if we were the ones that had provided those things to, to that group of people. And he had revealed himself over and over and over again, yet there was still something deep within them because their hearts were not fully given to the Lord. And so he appears and he shows his glory and giving the quail at night and he shows his glory and giving the bread in the morning and he shows his glory in the form of a cloud off in the wilderness, reminding his people that he is with them. And he is near to them. And so verse 13 continues on. And he says, in the evening, the quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on it a face of the wilderness, as fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take, take an, an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. Verse 18. But when they measured it with the omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms, and it began to stink, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God providing miraculously to them giving them the, the daily bread that they needed. And, and what's happening here in this moment, what God is doing with his people is he's reminding them that, that I am enough and I'm gonna give you enough, that, that you are satisfied, that you can be content with what I have, not more than you need, but not so that you are lacking. You know, the same is true of the Lord God today for his people. But oftentimes that's how he interacts with us. He gives us precisely what we need when we need it. It may not be exactly what we want, and it may not be what we intended or, or, or what we had hoped for or longed for, but, but doesn't he always in his goodness and in his kindness, he always knows precisely what we need when we need it. Sometimes it's, it's manna and, and bread. Sometimes it's a, a relationship or, or a friendship or a kind word that we know that we need. Sometimes it's just his, his presence in our life reminding us that, that he is near to us and, and he is near the, the brokenhearted. He is near the successful. He is with us to give us precisely what we need when we need it. And the lesson here in this moment is that God provides for his people that in his all-sufficient power, that he is our provider, he is the one that sustains us to remind us of this truth today, that he is all that we need.
He's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Moses explains this later on in the book of Deuteronomy, where he tells the people in this moment, in this interaction, he says in Deuteronomy 8, he says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then to feed you with manna, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then into the picture, at some point down the road, Jesus comes in. And you remember this scene where Jesus is taken out into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil himself. And the devil says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? I, I know you're, you're hungry. Why don't you change them? And then Jesus quotes Moses out of the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but he lives on the very word of God. And so he resists. But then there's this interaction that's quite peculiar in the gospel of John. We're talking about the bread of life and, and Jesus being the sustainer and God being the provider. And Jesus had just performed this miracle in John chapter 6 where he walked on the water. Well, you start walking on the water and no one has seen anyone before in their lifetime walk on the water, you start to draw crowds, would you not? And so this group of people, they hear about Jesus performing these miraculous things. And so they go to him. And they say, they ask him questions, who, who are you? And, and they ask this peculiar question in John 6, verse 30, they, they say to him, then if you are who you say you are, then, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but rather it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, I love this request, sir, give us this bread always. And then here's Jesus' response that connects all the dots from Exodus 16, all of the history that exists there in that moment, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. You see, the Lord God today, he cares about every one of your physical needs. He cares about your wants. He knows what both of those are. And he is a provider to give us precisely what we need. And he does care about the physical. But more than him caring about the physical, he is deeply concerned rather with the spiritual. And he's concerned for everyone in this room, in the balcony and the lower, those watching online and those all around the world, what God cares the most about is the condition of what happens right in here. The condition of our hearts. And whether our hearts are, are those hearts that are longing to, to be with God and to know him and, and to make him known, to be on mission with him and, and to serve him, to, to understand that he is the author and the sustainer of all things and that he is enough for his people. He's enough. And so even in the midst perhaps of broken relationships in your life, even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances in your life, what Jesus is saying today through his word today is I am the bread of life, I am enough. I'm enough. He cares deeply about your heart this morning. Several weeks ago I started 
coaching my youngest son, Duke, his coach pitch baseball team. And yesterday we had our first game and I've got a couple of kids on the team that have never played baseball before. So we were starting from scratch. We've practiced several times, but I feel like every practice we've had, they've already forgotten everything that I've taught them. And so you get to the game and, and you just start all over with a couple of these kids and they're precious. They're, they're kind and considerate. They're, they've got a great sense of humor about it. And yesterday uh, during our game, uh, one of my players, I'll go ahead and say his name because everybody heard it in the stands. His name uh, is Elijah, but he goes by Eli. And he is a little tender-hearted young man, great attitude, team player, but he has never played baseball before in his life. And his grandparents who, uh, who, who raised him, they've never played baseball before in, in their life. And so it's just basically me and Elijah out there. And so I get him up there and I line him up on the plate and he's got his feet, first of all, face towards the pitcher's mound. And he's looking at me like this, holding his bat, like he's got a samurai sword or something like that. And I said, Eli, now, now what did we practice? Turn your feet uh, towards home plate. And so he finally gets squared up and I make him, I say, move your feet apart. He doesn't understand that command. So I have to go and leave the mound and I walk up to Eli and I sort of put him in position of where he needs to be. I remind him of where his hands are supposed to go and choke up, get your elbow up, look at me, all that kind of stuff. Well, I got him situated and I was walking back to the pitcher's mound. I kind of just tapped him on the head real lightly. He's got a helmet on. I didn't hit him hard. It was just kind of a go get him and, and swing away. And I turned my back to him. And then all of a sudden I hear within a split second, I hear, ow. And I turn around and he's completely out of position again. He's, he's looking the other way. And, and he says this to me, he says, coach, that hurt. The no mercy in me is like, Eli, get back in the batter's box and let's go. <laughs> he said, that hurt, I can feel when you do that on my head, I feel it. And I said, Eli, I barely even touched your head. And now I'm proceeding as almost a 40 year old to argue with a six year old uh, on the baseball diamond. And, and I said, he said, I can feel that all the way down to my heart. <laughs> and then he says this. He says, I only have one heart. You have got to be careful. <laughs> I turned, I looked at his dad. He just kind of does this. And, and I say, yes, sir. And we go back to the mound, we finish the game. You know, the funny part about that was yesterday morning, I had woken up and was working on this message and trying to finish it up and tidy it up. And God had been working on my heart about a bunch of different things. And I'd been asking this question, how do I, how do I wrap this up? And I wanna lead it back to a place where, where we can get into our hearts and like investigate our hearts and discern what it is and where we are in our relationships with the Lord and, 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 and struggled all morning. It was one of those mornings where I just couldn't find anything and then just kind of let it go. And, and we're going to a baseball game and then little Eli reminds me of a powerful truth that we, you, me, we only have one heart. And God gives it to us and God cares. And I'm not talking about your little heart. Eli certainly was. But what, what I'm saying to you this morning is that if Jesus is the bread of life, the provider, he should be the one that captivates your heart. Amen. He should be the focus of, of your intention, uh, your attention and, and your time and your resources for he is the great provider and he is worthy of it, is he not? Pray with me. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have been given forgiveness of our sins. 
You tell us in your word that anyone who would call upon your name would be saved. And so, Father, I, I pray that in this moment of response time, for anyone that's here in this room that does not have a personal relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would captivate their heart, that you would get their attention, and that, Lord, you would become their provider today. Father, I pray that for those that are here today and maybe just need an extra prayer or a word that are struggling in whatever way that is, I pray that your spirit would rain down peace upon their heart, that you would comfort them and be near to them. Lord, we are thankful for the gift of motherhood. We are thankful for our moms. And so, Father, we celebrate them today. But most importantly, Father, we celebrate you and who you are. And for we pray and ask these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. amen.